0: You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early-stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on these podcasts. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's guest speaker, we have Jeremy Nelson, CEO and co-founder of Assure. And today we'll talk about the SPVs and specifically how Assure is transforming them from being the vehicle specifically for investors to being a vehicle for founders to make a more comfortable raise for themselves. And we're gonna talk about what it means to have a founder run SPV and how those works and how those can help you raise money for your company. So Jeremy, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Assure.
1: Sure, thanks for having me. Sure, we do SPVs. We're SPV ninjas, geniuses, if you will. And a little background, my background is in industry. I went to a lot of school, got a law degree, got an MBA, then um, was hired in, to launch and run the state of Utah's Utah Fund to Funds Program, where I worked with entrepreneurs, worked with VCs. And that's how I got into the business, learned the business, if you will. Uh, my co-founder, uh, she was operations, worked at Fortune 500 companies, and uh, she's also my wife. So she spent a lot of time managing the home, and as the assure, and our lives kind of combined and moved, and and uh, eventually collided where she and I uh, jumped in together to grow assure. The whole business started when Angelist called us and said, Hey, you know, with the jobs act changing and some mm-hmm. things here in the U S we think there's an opportunity here to build this platform and provide this service. Can you guys figure out how to do the back end? Can you figure out how to do funds in bulk? So we said, yes, the co-founder and I, we figured it out, right. You know, to be honest, I wasn't exactly sure what I was saying. Yes. To, uh, I knew from my experience and my education and my co-founder, like we could figure it out, but there's plenty of weeks and days nights where i was completely lost as i was figuring and groping around trying to figure it out and and we did and you know we're here today doing thousands of spvs per year for our clients i have kind of the background my my co-founder has that operational uh genius
0: right and yeah as you said i is the most notable player in the field of spv creation and the entire basically back-end operations behind a ton of fundraisings. And yeah, when you guys reach out to me, I was like, absolutely, you are coming on this podcast. It's going to be a super interesting conversation here. And later on, we're going to jump into more details of how the SPV are operating, who actually needs them, and why are they so important for some fundraising? But let's start with your own story, which is the fact that you've been actually a co-CEO of Assure for over 10 years. Why did you decide to co-CEO and how does that work?
1: Yeah, it's been a journey of multiple roles and approaches. My co-founder, like I mentioned, is my wife. She and I basically just work on Assure all the time. So when we go home at night, we talk about Assure. When we get up in the morning, we talk about Assure. When we go on vacation, we talk about Assure. We go on dates, we talk about Assure. Our children, we have four children. They get quite annoyed with it, you know, like... They'll ask us a question and and we'll kind of start answering their question. They're kind of involved in this conversation with us. And then we'll divert, we'll just run off the road and we'll talk about a sure. And they're like, you know, throw their hands up and, you know, make fun of us or be annoyed. And so because we're so tight and always together, it just makes sense that we run this business together. And we've done it well we've done it poorly at different times with regards to roles what we have found is that it works best for us when we have defined lines Mm -hmm. or like you work on revenue you work on tech you work on upright so very defined lines is where we work best and the titles really don't matter to us it's like you hold this title for a while then i'll hold this title for a while and just you know, whatever whatever is needed is what we do whoever's most suitable or fit or has the capacity and the business continuously changes and grows if anyone's built a company you know that it's kind of this constant change and so we just plug in where we need to and unplug and let the other one plug in and just move around and get the company to where we need it to be so it's just worked really well for us uh not every day right but Overall, for the most part, it's worked really well for us.
0: Absolutely. And just one more question. I swear we're going to move on to talk about uh, the actual part about uh, building the SPVs and uh, you know, raising through the SPVs. Uh, but first things first, when you start the assure company, uh, a lot of uh, investors or a lot of founders are being recommended not to start companies with their significant others or you know relatives of any kind was that a concern for you when you began? and do you think that, that i mean sure is number one now so obviously that was the right call but at the time do you think you know were you considering some other options or was it just you know an obvious option to you
1: It was a very obvious option. A little more about my story is, you know, I ran the Utah Fund of Funds, did that for seven years, uh, got laid off, got fired, whatever, whatever word you want to use. And um, I then tried multiple things. I, I, you know, started to try to grow my career and failed at a lot of things. And so I actually went two years of failing before it really started to take traction and so, um, there was definitely a, an air of desperation uh, with regards to getting something moving and getting mm-hmm. something, getting some traction. And uh, my co-founder Katie, she just she just jumped in, right? I'm gonna help. took it gladly, right? Just like, absolutely, please help. So there's multiple things that are amazing about uh, my co-founder. One she work anybody under the table, including me. Uh, to her skill sets are opposite of mine. And so it's really yin and yang with regards to our skill sets. Mm-hmm. The other thing that is amazing about her, something I haven't seen in anybody else ever, is she always catches up. And what I mean by that is when a, when a business grows, like the, girls, the business will grow past you, it'll like, you know, go from five employees to 50 to 100 to 200. And you'll have employees who are amazing people, but you can just see that they were perfect yesterday. And then all of a sudden, they're not as perfect for this role. Doesn't mean they're not amazing. They are, but they don't have experience with 200 employees or they don't have experience with a thousand SPVs and they were perfect before. Now they're not. My co-founder has always just caught up. It's just been an amazing, amazing thing just, just to watch. The other final thing about uh having a co-founder who shares expenses with you is uh she basically took no salary for years and has been underpaid uh, forever and still is underpaid. <laughs> and so uh the value just in like her skill set is amazing, the value to the company of her just not taking that full paycheck. Yeah. It could have been me, it could have been her, you know, for us it's kind of all the same, but um it's just been invaluable to, to the company. And so, you know, I remember those days that you described where it was like negative, you know, don't, don't do, don't do friends. Don't do mm-hmm. cousins. Don't do siblings. Don't do spouses. And I've seen a, a change. Like it was there and I've seen that uh, there's a bit of big change and there is a big movement of people, spouses. That's right. Relations that are, Doing companies together and not saying that they all work out, but there is a a healthy number that do work out and there is a very strong positive elements to that arrangement absolutely i've
0: interviewed dozens dozens of founders who have started their companies with their spouses with their brothers with their cousins as you said and they have actually succeeded very much in this journey uh but now let's actually go back and talk about the major topic of today's discussion which is the spvs and specifically founder-led spvs so assured is best known for you know serving investors uh but the head of uh, partnerships of Assure reached out to me to talk about founder-led SPV specifically. So, can you tell us a little more about those? How do they work? What is a founder-led SPV?
1: Sure. So an SPV is an SPV. It doesn't matter if investors using it or a founder or a sponsor or anybody else. And you know, an SPV is a vehicle, structured vehicle that looks and behaves a lot like a venture fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is investors coming in that vehicle is going to aggregate money that vehicles are going to send that money on to purchase an asset. And that describes a venture fund. Venture funds tend to do lots of assets and, you know, have this long life cycle and, and, yep. and performs slightly different. And SPV is special purpose. So it's like this one-time thing. Let's do this one deal. Let's, let's do this one round. And so it's, it's a little bit like an SPV or a you know, venture fund kind of on steroids where, you're going to do everything you're going to do in a venture fund but you're going to do it quicker uh-huh. and fast you know faster quicker like all this 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 stuff in a very short time frame right. so uh, this spv is meant to aggregate investment when it comes to a founder-led spv the founder is the one saying i want the investors that come and sit on my cap table to come in an organized fashion. So you have two options. You either allow people to come direct and sit on your cap table direct, or you make them go through a structured vehicle. Uh, You know, a venture capital fund is a structured vehicle. You know, all the LPs in that venture fund aren't coming to you direct. They're going through that venture fund. Uh, The same thing is an SPV where You may have a large number of people coming, say, hey, I'm interested. I want to write $10,000 check. I want to write a $20,000 check. I'll do a $50,000 check. You as a founder, you have to say, do I want 10 or 30 or 50 people sitting on my cap table, all writing five to $50,000 checks? Or do I want to say, love to have you. I've set up an SPV, or I've, you know, I'm using somebody to to have this SPV set up for this purpose, please go through the SPV. So that aggregates all that money. And then you get one $200,000 check or $500,000 check. And you can have as many founder led SPVs as you want, right? You could have Mm -hmm. five or 10, right? It's really about organizing your investors. And we can talk about why that's interesting and, and potentially very important, but that's, That's a founder-led SPV is organizing all those investors into a structured vehicle. Right, that is true, and yeah,
0: <clears throat> recently we released a course on fundraising for early stage startups, and there I have actually mentioned that SPVs are not ideal because it is hard to find an investor who is willing to run or lead that SPV. Now that problem is apparently solved. Um, so let's let's start by talking about some details of organizing SPV specifically, through short because you're here. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about that. Um, first question is how much can a founder expect to set to spend on creating that SPV from the legal perspective. So uh, what's the cost of creating that SPV in order to organize investors in this kind of batch?
1: When SPV has legal, but it has tax, it also has compliance, it has banking, has admin, has a lot of these professional services that are needed. And if you don't go through a Shure, you're basically going to be calling a law firm, you're going to be calling a tax firm, you're going to be calling, uh, calling on banks. You know, you're going to be doing this by yourself. And frankly, it just doesn't make sense, especially uh-huh. as a founder. And one of the reasons founders haven't used them, particularly in the past, is you know you're you're very busy. You're really not going to go out and do all this work. It's just too much of a headache. So uh-huh. at a Shure, you come in, and we have a slick system. Got you know, SPV in a box. You get documents you get a bank account you get a system for everybody to sign we'll do the security filings we'll do the taxes all that in in one flat fee and so the you know the fee part of the conversation uh if you do a small spv we have we have two products we have a sure labs product that is tiered so if you do a really small Mm -hmm. spv you'll pay four thousand dollars plus whatever the blue sky filing fees are which is in the Mm -hmm. u.s some states require you to throw in some money and tell them that you raised money from their citizens, their residents. Um, and so if you did a $50,000 raise, $50,000 raise, SPV or lower, you're going to be paying four to $5,000 one time to assure to do all those things, legal, tax, accounting, admin, compliance, banking for you for up to seven years. It's tiered. So if you raise $100,000, it goes up to like $4,500. If you get, you know, $150,000 kind of Ticks up, but you're going to max out ten thousand five hundred. We have a standard product that adds a few other features. You're basically in the range of about four to about thirteen fourteen thousand dollars max mm-hmm. one time when the deal closes for a seven year life cycle for that for that entity. Nice,
0: nice, nice, nice. Uh, that is great pricing. Um, so let's touch onto the part that you mentioned at the very end of that speech, uh, which is the fact that if you close the SPV, actually, so what happens if the founder starts fundraising, and it just it just doesn't go well, what happens then and let's say they close a couple of investors, but they do not feel their target of let's say uh, $55,000 SPV. What happens then?
1: Yeah, so to assure we don't charge for a failed deal, we do have a retainer, you know we want to make sure that people are serious. Right. Yeah. for the most part, so you're gonna pay twenty five hundred bucks to assure, and if that's if that's it, then that's that's the end of it. Maybe uh, maybe you're gonna pay twenty five hundred bucks one time, and that's it. If you did multiple deals, right, that retainer works for lots of deals. Uh, mm-hmm. We just want those people that are serious to come in to assure. At the end of the day, we don't charge for failed deals. And we just know that that's, that's part of the business. You also have to understand that as sure many or most of our clients are, are syndicators, right? Yep. They're going to do lots and lots and lots of deals. And so not every deal goes well. So you, as a founder, you get, you get the benefit of that feature inside the product, which is we don't charge for failed deals because most of the clients are going to have some of those as they do lots and lots of deals with Assure.
0: Eventually it happens it's bound to happen it always happens to everyone even the most successful investors is just how star world works so yeah that's that's great to hear and a lovely so now let's talk about when it actually makes sense to pay four thousand plus dollars in order to create that spv so from your perspective when does it make sense to raise through an spv rather than a letting all the investors just be shown on the cap table
1: yeah, it's really, uh, this is also, this is very much a founder decision if uh-huh. you want to do this. But there's a number of great features or outcomes for and in using founder-led SPVs. So as a founder, a clean cap table can be very advantageous and important to you. I'm a, I'm a founder. I'm a venture-backed founder. I, I've kind of walked this same path uh, that I'm talking to each of you about and I understand that pressure where you know, someone says, hey, you know, I got 10 grand, it's it exciting. You just want to say yes. But at the end of the day, you will most likely grow or you want to grow. And so preparing yourself and being having that foresight that says, I'm going to do a seed round, I'm going to do an A round. I'm going to do a B round, C round. And maybe you don't get there, but preparing for that is very important. Just like growing up your company of saying, you know, we do financials here. we We make sure we hire the right representation. We get good documentation. All these things that that are helping you be professional, grown up, ready for big investors, sophisticated investors, great employees. Same thing is with your cap table. So as you grow, maybe at the seed stage, you're like, I'll take anybody. But that comes back around to kind of bite you when a series A comes around and the more sophisticated investors, maybe the big VCs start coming around you're going to look at that cap table mm-hmm. like what's going on here who are these individuals right. who are these people are they accredited and you're going to start to have to answer some very interesting tough questions uh you go you keep going from there b round c round there's more sophisticated more scrutiny more due diligence that's going to come upon you in that on that on that cap table and so if you basically are like here's my cap table and they're like oh spv administered by a sure, because we know that everyone that went through there is going to be accredited because Assure you know does those checks, mm-hmm. their background checks. This is being professionally managed. Nice, right? You don't get those questions, and so you're basically setting yourself up for a much more smooth, much more professional, grown-up looking due diligence and conversation down the road when you work with institutional investors. So that's that's one big advantageous aspect and something you should really consider. And I want to just point out too, is some investors are going to resist the SPV. This is going to be a decision you're just going to have to make. Some are just going to say, I want to be on the cap table, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be close to you. I don't want to go through this structured vehicle. And there's plenty of reasons to for, for them to, to say that. At the end of the day, you need to say, you know, what am I building here? What am I creating? How am I organizing this? And another advantageous piece is when somebody is sitting on your cap table, it's much harder to deal with honorary or misbehaving investors sitting on your cap table than inside an SPV. One, right. if they're inside the SPV, they're a little bit shielded from you, right? They're maybe misbehaving in the SPV, if you will, but an administrator or whoever like a sure has to deal with them. If somebody is... Uh, quite upset maybe they had a life event and they need maybe they need out right maybe there's a a divorce or a death or something that's Mm -hmm. that's big you know life happens and they're like hey can I get can I get out of this deal that's more difficult when they're sitting on your cap table directly than if they're in an SPV so inside an SPV they could basically go find somebody just to swap out their seats right and if they put in 2500 bucks they can go find someone hey I'm in this startup company i need out you know can we just trade spots for 2500 bucks that's easily done happens all the time and so there's a lot of more there's a lot more flexibility and optionality inside an spv than sitting directly on the cap table and then you know finally is that accredited investor aspect if somebody comes and invests in your company and they're not accredited and I'm not saying that uh, you wouldn't ask or, or check or whatever, but it's much easier for them to slip through on that. And a investor, maybe an institutional investor finds out later, you have to clean that up and um, they're, they're going to have to come off your cap table. All right, we can go in you know, a, whole, a whole branch down why that's why that's the case. We'll not bore you with the legalese on that. But, you know, it's coming through an SPV one. It's fixed easier to. Like a sure, we don't let non-accred investors, right? We have the checks and and stuff like that uh, going through going through that. So those are kind of three off the you know the top of the list of why founder-led SPVs are a good idea to consider. Right,
0: and accredited investors are super important i mean in most cases you do have to run those checks one way or another of course you can do it by the lawyer but not all of your investors might have a lawyer available to write the the letter saying that you are accredited indeed uh so Let's actually, one thing that you've mentioned is, sounds very interesting, which is trade seats for 2,500 bucks. Let's talk about that for a second. How can that be done? Because I know that in most cases, or in like 99.9% of the cases, it is, you just cannot sell your shares in the company or even exchange them in any way. Like you're just stuck there for years before the triggering event happens. How can that be done?
1: Yeah, so I think there's some key words there. So there's trade versus sale. So okay. let's say if you sell your position, that tends to mean that you're you've increased your price. So you put in twenty five hundred, mm-hmm. now you're asking for five grand in exchange. That's more of a sale mm-hmm. that is permitted per documents. Like we're really kind of getting into legal document yeah. SEC stuff. It is permitted. It does cause requirements about legal documents and and tracking it also affects taxes so there's this kind of waterfall effect of when mm-hmm. somebody does that throughout the SPV and there's there's kind of best practices there and, and, and other ways to kind of do that but it's happening all the time in SPVs and it's one of the reasons SPVs are being used more and more and it's just growing and growing is because the flexibility, of these vehicles is so much greater than anything else out there. And so it is permitted. Uh, again, you know, there are some boxes you need to check there. Mm-hmm. Trading is different. When I say trading, it's more like I put in 2,500, I just want 2,500 back. So there's no real sell. There's no, there's no, you know, increase of price. There's not all that water falling of, yep. of effect the the legal ease there is is much less as well. And this happens quite frequently with regards to um, they call them you know, membership transfers. Okay. so frequently, somebody will transfer their membership interest to something else that they control. So maybe they invest as an individual, they set up a a trust or an LLC and they just want to move it over. It's very similar to that by way of ease and documentation and accounting and tax. Um, and so, you know, I kind of use that scenario, someone's like, you know, I'm not really looking for a profit here. I just like to get my money back. I've had some life events. I would like just to cash out. That's a much simpler outcome, both legally tax administration. than if someone's like, hey, I got a write up here and who wants, you know, who wants to bid? Who wants to bid it up? It's permitted. It happens all the time. But but uh, that, that kind of life event uh, is, is a much easier transaction.
0: Right. Very interesting. Honestly, never heard of those scenarios. Maybe I'm just, I just never asked those questions and founders are not super happy to discuss those. But that does sound very interesting. And in later episodes, I'll be sure to ask about that. Uh, But before we move on with more questions about SPVs and when they're applicable, one question about your own fundraising. As you said, you are a venture backed company and I'm just checking your crunch base right now. And it looks like you have raised money from Jason Calicanis, which is. Props to you, congrats, that is a huge name there. Um, One question, it seems like on Crunchbase, at least it only shows that you have raised your pre-seed and seed rounds. Is that where you stopped raising and just realized that you're generating enough revenue so you don't actually need any additional cash influx or did you just decide uh, to not disclose it on Crunchbase?
1: Yeah, Uh, we've just done one round. It was a seed round, um, cash flow from the very beginning. You know, our business started very much like maybe a law firm or accounting firm. We provide services. Mm-hmm. We didn't need much of anything, just you know, a computer and expertise. And uh, we generated a significant amount of revenue. As we turned into the fintech business that we are today, you know, we we started as a you know fund administrator, professional services, just trying to figure this thing out. What are the boxes? What are the filings? What are the legal? What are the documents? All you know, walk that path, which we did. We then started to codify it. You know, we started in a Salesforce system. We then created our own system. We're now on our second and kind of best system right now. And so we have today we're very much a fintech company. Yeah. Before, very much a just services, you know, professional services businesses that you have little does, you know, no overhead. So the cash flow really just allowed us to grow the grow the business. So, we did a very small round, uh, invited some of our, our clients to invest, and cash flow has been our friend ever since. Nice. And raising
0: from your customers, that is just absolutely amazing. And in this case, it makes tons and tons of sense why while, while Jason Calcas was the one to invest quite a bit. Um, so, question Did you raise your entire round from your customers exclusively, or did you actually decide to reach out to some strategic
1: investors? it was is it, it was all of our clients. I had I had a number of conversations. Um, but all of the investors came from either my co-founder and I or our clients.
0: Nice. That is just great success for fundraising right there when your clients invest, that is absolutely epic uh so before we jump into the very last question of this episode one more question about uh what happens to a lot of founders after they sell their company successfully so the happy ending of the startup world is or the startup journey is acquisition or sale or ipo and the founder usually or frequently leaves after that moment and a lot of them afterwards decide not to leave the startup world and continue either investing in other companies while they're building their own or just purely investing and becoming full-on institutional investors. So for those founders who are not professional investors per se, what kind of structure would you recommend? Do you think that fund makes sense? Do you think that rolling funds make sense? Or do you think that those SPVs make the most sense when they just you know see one particular deal and they're like, you know what, that, that's, that looks great for me, I'm going to create an SPV specifically for that?
1: Yeah, so everyone's journey is different. Uh, you mentioned kind of three products there: venture fund, which I think we all know of, kind of traditionally as a certain mm-hmm. product. You mentioned rolling funds, which really are SPVs. So there's a nice little marketing wrapper around yeah. that. But it's really SPVs, and then uh, single asset SPVs. So this entire deny this entire ecosystem is really graying. All the different products are kind of touching each other and, and becoming one giant. Pool of options. We see a lot of our clients start with single asset SPVs, then they make those decisions do I want to kind of move upstream and do a venture fund? So, single asset SPVs are great in multiple reasons. One, you're not committing to this fund before Uh maybe you've experienced doing deals, right? You're not, it's 10 15 year life that you're committing to. It also allows you to build a track record to perhaps do a fund in the future. It allows you to start to build your network of investors who may be the investors for your fund. More funny, a lot of them not wanting to do a fund, right? They just don't want that commitment. They want to do deals. They don't want to be an administrator. So we have a large number of clients who just say, I'm just going to do single asset SPVs forever. Um, You know, unless you're really going for like a management fee, you really don't need to do a venture fund. Our clients do more deals with SPVs and raise more money than they would in a venture fund. So if you're going for carry and you're going for you know, deals, single asset SPVs are a fantastic option. It's a deal-by-deal deal carry. You can do things outside of a kind of defined thesis, which you're required to kind of put yourself into a box for a fund. It allows you to explore... So many different aspects and areas. It allows you to, uh, you know, do pro rata rounds and future rounds with more SPVs and get more carry. Your, your overall economics, flexibility, and and optionality is so much greater when you have when you do SPVs than it is when you do a fund. Funds are great. There's they 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 have their place. Not not bagging on funds, but SPVs. Uh, just provide so many optionality that, that a lot of people start there and many people never move out of the SPV space. Yeah, hundred percent. I have actually interviewed
0: one of the investors who is very, very active with this model and he is working under the Assure's umbrella. So I'll be sure to leave a link to that interview in the description of this episode. So founders, if you're listening to this, uh, Check out that episode if you want to understand how investors who invest through SPVs operate and how they can affect your fundraising. So on this note, Jeremy, let's move on to the last question, which is a call to action. So what do you want the listener to do as soon as this episode is over?
1: Two things. One, go check out our YouTube channel. It's CEO. We've got a bunch of videos, shorts, little shorts, you know, one to two minutes to continue to describe and explain SPVs and how you can use them. The other one is go and sign up for our quarterly free online virtual conference that we do every quarter. And we go through all the aspects of an SPV. So if you're wondering, you know, should I, maybe I shouldn't, you know, a number of our clients actually are founders. They're current founders. They have no intention to sell in the next 12 or 18 months. They do SPVs on the side. They use it a little bit like a biz dev, you know, being in the industry, they know something and they're, they're doing SPVs while they are CEOs. And uh, this conference goes through, you know, 18 different sessions, 30 minutes each, just really educating you all about SPV. So if you want to get smart fast on SPVs, go to our website, assure.co, sign up for the conference. It's free. It's going to happen in about 30 days for this upcoming quarter that is lovely would love to
0: check it out myself i see some great stuff being developed on berkeley campus so it would be super interesting to Take a closer look at all the details which we didn't have a chance to cover in this episode, but yeah. On this note, my call to action is going to be, as always, check out the description of this episode. A tons of useful links are going to be there. Going to be both useful for founders and investors. The two percent of investors who are listening to this podcast, <laughs> uh, but for founders, it's still super educational. And it's it's always good to understand, you know, how you can utilize tools such as SPVs uh, that are made specifically for you, and As usual, have a good day.